Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks, and welcome today to Morning Glory, our midweek Bible study. Why don't you take your Bibles today and meet me in 1 Chronicles chapter 33, and let's talk today about miracles of restoration. There's different kinds of miracles. There's, there are healing miracles. There are money miracles. But there are also miracles where God can supernaturally restore something that has been lost, relationships that have been lost, even time that has been lost. So there's a real miracle element to God's ability to restore, and we want to take a look at that today. So let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and that He would illuminate the Holy Scriptures so that the eyes of our understanding would be flooded with light. We thank You, Father. Give us Your Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Let us be sharp in You. Thank You, Father. In Jesus' name, and together we all say, Amen. In First Chronicles chapter 33, <coughs> excuse me, we have the story of King Manasseh of Judah. Verse 1 says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Well, it was a big mess. And it's very unusual what Manasseh did. He actually got so far over into occultism and demonic activity that the, really there was never like an evil king like this before. He led Judah into such sin that they became more sinful than the other pagan nations around them. From a New Testament perspective, the Apostle Paul said that when you worship idols, you're actually worshiping demons. So he seduced the nation into demon worship. And this guy, he went into the pit, and he started off at 12 years old, became king, and there's an element of mystery here, because his father, uh, who's you know now passed away, his father was a very godly man. That would be good King Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was a man that ruled and governed over Judah very well, did a very good job, but yet his son, you would almost think there was no way this guy could have been descended from Hezekiah. But yet he is the son of a very noble, righteous king, and here he is, just going whole hog into sin, and leading the nation into sin, making his sons pass through the fire, having his own children offered as sacrifices upon demonic altars. You know, I was on tour one time in Israel, going through Jerusalem, and the tour guide uh, on the bus suddenly got a little choked up. He was kind of, you know, just talking about, you know, the various things. And as you know, when you go to Israel, you go another 300 yards, and you're at another major, like, epic event. And it just goes on and on and on. But, you know, we're going through uh, Jerusalem on bus, and he, he suddenly got a little bit choked up. And he said, well, he said, I hate to admit it, because he said, I believe I'm a descendant of Judah, and therefore of the tribe of Judah. But it's right here, right at this site. We're going by it on the bus. He said, it was right there at this site where my own ancestors, under the leadership of Manasseh, we sacrificed our own children to these demonic gods. And uh, uh, he, he was able to pull himself together. But this was a real low point, uh, particularly when Judah had some good kings, but they'd never seen a king like this go uh, so far over that He's even outdoing pagan nations with evil, evil, wicked practices. Well, it talks about that in detail in First Chronicles chapter 33. And the Lord sent him prophet after prophet after prophet, and he wouldn't listen. So in the mercy of God, God allows them to go into Babylonian captivity, and it's there in captivity that he goes through a great affliction. Verse 12, now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Well, remember, 
to be hauled away in the Babylonian captivity. It's not just be like it's not like you're just taken around the corner. You're, you're taken hundreds of miles away from your homeland into a distant uh, nation with all kinds of different rules and regulations, and certainly a nation without God. But it was there that he was humble, and he prayed to God, and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. If you want to see a wild miracle of restoration, look at the life of Manasseh. It's hard to find anybody who went as deep into the pit as he did, and yet was restored because he repented and turned his heart back to the Lord. This really is a classic example of a miracle of how God restored a person supernaturally, miraculously, when you would look back and you think this guy, this guy is gone, total lost cause. But yet, there in that prison, he repents, gets his heart right with God, and God is so good that he restores him, not back into just right relationship, but even brings him back to Jerusalem, gives him, gives him the throne back. Wow, crazy miracle of restoration. Well, you see something interesting also in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. And yes, this of course would be the, the parable of the prodigal son. Verse 11, a certain man had two sons. And you have the younger one who's going to go in the full-blown rebellion. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. So takes all the money and just uh, takes his inheritance and just, you know, dumps his father and leaves, goes to a distant country and just starts burning through all the money, spending it. Uh, you, you could say like modern day, like just going to Las Vegas and just indulge and gorge in as much sin and carnal pleasure as possible. And I'm, I'm familiar with Vegas. I've done a lot of ministry in Las Vegas. So I, I, I believe God is working in that city despite all of the sin. But of course, sinners, if you want to go sin, they know that's a great location to go. Maybe that's where the prodigal son went. But he went hog wild. I mean, just gorged himself in sin. Ah, but then economic recession hit, famine hit. He also has burned through all of his money. He goes to look for a job in that country, and he gets a job feeding pigs. I've actually done that before. I've, I've fed pigs before. I grew up on a farm, and we, my, my parents, we, we had hogs, lots of hogs. My, my grandmother and grandfather, they had pigs. I'm talking big, big ones, you know, four or 500 pound hogs. And once a year, we'd have the hog slaughter. Remember, we're not Jewish. Uh, we're not kosher. We're eating pork every day, usually for breakfast and sometimes pork chops at night for dinner. But I remember, you know, the annual hog slaughter and, you know, and blood going everywhere and, you know, but using literally every single part of the pig from the skin to the nose to the feet, everything was either eaten or pickled or turned into sausage. Nothing was wasted. But here he is feeding the lowest of the low. He's feeding the hogs. And yes, they're messy and they're disgusting, but even the husk that they're eating, he's, he's so hungry, he's wishing he could eat even the husk, which, you know, there's not really any nutrition hardly in that. Certainly wouldn't taste good, but he has hit the bottom. And then it says, the beautiful verse, verse 17, but when he came to himself, <laughs> you got to love it. I like the King James Version. When he came to his senses, and sometimes... Not always, but a lot of the time, that's when people that have been living wrong, that have been in rebellion, that have walked away from the Lord, that's when the light comes on. When you realize, if you don't serve God, you're over here on the devil's turf, and he'll treat you like trash. And, um, there's a, there's, and God allows it. If you walk away from him, he'll allow it. He'll let you know what it's like uh, to serve the devil or him. He'll let you know who the nice boss is, who the nice one is. It's very easy to see. And, um, 
you know, this guy came to his senses and basically said, what in the world am I doing? I'm starving and my dad's got wealth and money and, uh, and the, the servants are eating better than I, even than I am. And, and so he really thought it over, but see, here's the main thing. He repented. It's not just coming back and say, dad, I made a mistake. No, it's genuine repentance. The light comes on and you realize, Hey, this is not worth it. This is not worth this, you know, this pleasure trip that sin temporarily gives. This is not worth it. And so he goes to his father and he says, Father, I have sinned. And I, that needs to be done, you know, for restoration to come forth in the beautiful measure that God can release it. There really needs to be a flat out statement God, I've sinned. I've blown it. I've done some really stupid stuff. Lord, I've hurt you, I've grieved your spirit, and I've hurt people. And there needs to be a, uh, just a, an awareness and admittance that sin has been done, and that has been committed by the individual, and that there, there's a turning from it. Praise God. Hallelujah. But the Father said to His servants, bring out, now watch, watch the restoration, He's repented, He's come back to the Father, and the Father says, bring out the best robe, okay, the robe, symbolically speaking of salvation, and put it on Him, and put a ring on His hand, okay, the ring speaking of authority, and sandals on His feet, sandals can even uh, symbolic, prophetically represent a ministry being given to a person. So He comes back, and it's just not like, okay, you know, you, you know, the father's not like, hey, you left us and you did us wrong. You've blown all your money. And so I'll, I'll, we'll bring you back as a servant. No, he brings him in with full repentance and restores his status, full sonship, all the bells and whistles, all the goodies. I mean, th this is miraculous. This is not normal. You don't, you don't see stuff like this. This is, this is the touch of God. This is God's ability to miraculously restore someone when they come back to Him with all of their heart. God, God can give it all back. God can give it all back and more. It really is supernatural. You know, I was, talking, I was thinking about a story of a pastor. He had, um, he had a good church, but he committed adultery on his wife, and it, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't want to forgive him, and he's struggling with, you know, the, the shame and the reproach, and he just walks away from it all, walks away from his wife, and, uh, you know, she's already hurting and grieving, but he just walks away from his wife, walks away from his kids, walks away from the church, walks away from God, says, I can't handle it, I'm done, and goes and lives on Skid Row in L.A. for seven years, becomes an alcoholic, a bum, a drunk, sleeping on park benches, uh, no bath, no shower, uh, you know, living from a homeless shelter, just getting some food. Uh, that's the only way he's able to stay alive. But after seven years, an angel came to him, an angel of God came to him and said, go back to your wife and your family. You know, there really is something about an angelic visitation that's very, that's very persuasive. <laughs> you know, you have to understand, most people are not seeing angels. But when you see an angel and the angel says, go back, there's something very, very persuasive about that. And the, this man's heart was tender, and he went back, and it, he, he repented, told his wife, hey, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I've, I've really blew, blew it. And, you know, I, if you don't want to receive me back, I fully understand that his wife forgiving. There's a special grace that women have, I believe, in that area. Not, not that they need to recover and be healed up, but women have a very deep grace to show mercy. And so she takes him back uh, as her husband forgives him. The children never held bitterness against him, welcomed him back. And really the whole seven years they're praying and also believing that he'll come back. The wife, she never remarried, never filed for a divorce, never gave up on him. The children never gave up on him. Oh, God restored him. And today he's even, he's, not only did he get his marriage back and his family back, he got the church back. <laughs> Woohoo! And has a very large public speaking schedule. You know, very busy on the uh, on the speaker uh, circuit out there. More power to him. That's a miracle. That is a miracle of restoration. I couldn't help today but think about John Mark. 
uh, of course, you, I've, you've heard me say it before that the gospel that that touches me the most is the gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But the gospel of Mark just always grabs me in a very, very strong way. But it was John Mark who bailed out on Paul and Barnabas on an apostolic mission trip. I, and I don't know what happened. And maybe he just thought this is too much for me. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, Greek scholars have thought that when Paul wrote to Timothy that an elder should be, should not be a novice, that that's kind of a, uh, you know, direct point back to John Mark. You know, this guy got in here maybe too quick, too young, and then he bails out on us because he doesn't have the maturity and the roots in his life to hang tough when the tough gets going. And believe me, if you're running with Paul, you're going to hit some choppy waters. And it just, it, whatever happened, it got too much. And John Mark just said, I'm out of here and walked off and left them. And um, later, later on, um, Paul and Barnabas are having the discussion uh, you know, Paul basically says, this is Acts chapter 15, says, Barnabas, let's go back and revisit, you know, all the churches we've already been to. Let's go back and re-strengthen them and make sure everything's going good. And Barnabas is like, yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Hey, you know, I, I think John Mark is ready for this now. And Paul's like, mm, I, I'm not sold on that. And so they begin to kind of get into a, a debate. Uh, yes, no, no, yes, and uh, blah, blah, blah. And it ends up getting heated. And I think that Barnabas also had like a soulish attachment uh, to John Mark. And, and I, I also understand, I have, I have to be fair here, I have to give Barnabas, uh, you know, room, because he's obviously a very comforting, fatherly type, even we could say a grandfatherly type figure. And Paul's very apostolic, go, 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 go. And, um, and so... Uh, you know, there was a separation. Paul goes this way, and he ends up grabbing Silas. And Barnabas goes that way, and ends up taking, you know, John Mark. And I also understand that Paul's ministry is rising. You know, he's, he's going to a realm that very, very few people went into. He had more revelation than any of the 12 apostles had. So I can understand there's some separation there, because previously, up to that point, anytime you read about the two dynamic duo, it's Barnabas and Paul. But after that, it's Paul uh, and Barnabas. You don't see him anymore. And I understand the trajectory that God had Paul on. But it's very fascinating. Later, when when Paul is writing to Timothy in the second, excuse me, second Timothy chapter, chapter four, verse 11, this is what he says. He says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for ministry. Okay. So time preparation, a lot of love poured in. And also, you know, like, Hey, we're, we're not going to let your past define your future. So come on, help me out. And uh, at that point he's ready to go. And, th and this is the same John Mark. So, and of course this same John Mark goes on to write the gospel of Mark. What is that? That's really, that's really restoration because understand this to be able to carry Paul's briefcase is an honor. To be able to be the Elisha to Elijah, that's an honor. And to fumble the ball, to blow that opportunity earlier in, in, you know, in his life for John Mark to blow that opportunity with Paul? Uh, hey, that's like once in a lifetime type stuff. This is not like, you, you know, your, your typical pastor or your typical preacher. This is the guy that wrote 13 books in the New Testament. And you had in close personal relationship. You're traveling with this guy. This is the most preeminent, you know, guy that's out there really, you know, up to bat for Jesus and bearing the standard. And you, you, you lost that. Well, it comes back around again. What is that? It really is nothing less than a miracle of restoration where he's back in grace again with Paul, back in favor again with Paul. I believe God can give you restoration. Maybe you had an amazing door open 
and you didn't understand at that time in your life the value of it, and it didn't really like mean much to you, and you, you, you didn't know the gravity of what God was giving you, and you didn't take care of it, you didn't treat it right, and therefore it, it just flopped. It never, it never became what God wanted it to be. But now, you're in a different season in your walk with God. Now you've matured. Now you're ready. And I believe that God can bring something back that previously uh, never, uh, it just never moved because it just didn't happen. I believe God can restore it. And watch this, make it even better than what it was the first time. That is the touch that He's able to do. When, God's, when God restores, it really is miraculous. You not only get it back, it's even better than before. And I've had it happen to me, and I'm thinking in my mind, this doesn't make any sense. They should not be showing favor like this, but they are. Why? It's God. It's God. I actually left a job one time when I was in my early 20s, and it was hands down the best job I ever had in my life. But um, I didn't really apply myself as much as I should. I, I was a good worker, but I, I nowhere near had like the work ethic I would have today. You know, something you have to grow and mature in the things and just kind of cruised and took it easy and didn't really realize how good of a job that was, especially in the type of a town that, that was, I mean, this was a great job. And I landed it with not even a college degree or anything like that. It was an incredible job that I got by favor and worked there for maybe a year and a half. And then, well, I don't know, maybe I can't even remember what happened. I think maybe I just got tired, wanted to do something else, and ended up, you know, drifting into uh, different things in life and lost that job. I didn't lose it, didn't get fired. I think I just took something else. And, um, but later in life, I was pulled back to that job, and it was only a short season because it's the job that God gave me when I had the miraculous call to, to leave and to go, and it's where the boss poured the oil on my head and supernaturally re released me and sent me out. It was a, a crazy story, a part of my testimony, but God sent me back to that job. And I, I'm thinking, why do they like me so much? You know, I, you know, it's like, you know, I, I worked here before, and I don't see why they hired me back and why they like me so much. It, it was, it was supernatural. It was supernatural. And I was there and had a great time. And it was also a witness to the believers that were there and also to those that weren't. The things that God was doing in my life at that time is very, very special. Of course, it was a financial blessing as well to work at a good job like that. But um, sometimes when God restores, it's so good that your, your natural mind is thinking, why, why is this happening? It's just God. It's just God doesn't really even make any sense. It's just God, so just go with it. <laughs> Woo! Amen. Because I believe you're going to experience it. A door is going to reopen, and uh, you'll go through it all the way, and it'll really blossom this time. Hallelujah. Uh, David also experienced very, very disheartening loss. Loss that appeared on the on the front to be so devastating that even his closest comrades thought, this is it. This is, un this is unbearable. This is the thing that broke us. We're actually thinking about stoning our leader. And that's, that's, that's heavy, heavy pressure. But all of the training, all of the preparation that David has gone through has not been for nothing. It has brought him to a point where he now will lean on God with all of his heart, no matter what he faces. And this was the one, this was the last great thing. He clears this, and I mean, after this, he's up and running uh, full speed ahead as the king. But we see it in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Let me turn there just for a second, because this is when... Ziklag, David's temporary headquarters, is invaded by the Amalekites, and they haul off uh, David's two wives, Ab uh, Abigail being one of his wives, and uh, I think it's Abishag the other, haul off uh, the wives of all the men, all of his men, haul off all of their sons and all of their daughters and all of their possessions, and they're gone, and they don't know where they went to. And they come back and the cap's totally empty. Now, as a man, as a husband, you're, you're just thinking, well, first of all, I hope they didn't kill my spouse. I hope they didn't kill my kids. But, you're, you know, you, you would have to think, I hope they're not also going to degrade, you know, my, my, my wife or my, my, my daughter or whatever the case might be. Because, you know, these are, you know, brute beasts, basically. 
and that this was something that was very, very difficult for David and his men. But you know, it looked like a great loss, but God, God is a God of miracle restoration. Miracle restoration. Please say that today. Just say miracle restoration. So the Lord says, get up, go. David seeks the Lord. The Lord says, get up and go and recover. And so they pursued verse 18. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. David rescued his two wives and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. And then I like verse, uh, verse 26. Now, when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah. He had so much spoil. There was not just a restoration of what was lost. He got all of that back. Nothing was missing. But he got all of his stuff back, and all of their stuff, all of that stuff the, the Amalekites were hoarding and had gathered from their various raids, he took all of that too, and put all the Amalekites to the edge of the sword, finished them off. But wow, you, you're talking about miracle, miracle restoration. God knows how to not only restore, but give you double, uh, double give you double for your trouble. That's it. And you actually see it in Job chapter 42, verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And he had a whole lot before he went into that trial. The greatest man of the East. The Lord restored Job's losses. And the losses restored, God took him back identically double of what he had before, doubled exactly the number of sheep, the number of camels, the number of donkeys, just double. I mean, it's supernatural, miraculous restoration. You know what? God is in the restoration business. He's going to restore your losses. He's going to bring it all back. He's going to bring it all back. Watch what God will do. You see this also with Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of the, the Babylonian Empire that was active during the time of Daniel the prophet, Daniel even serving in that uh, king's court. And we see in Daniel chapter 4 that Nebuchadnezzar, because of his great pride and arrogance, don't ever forget, don't ever forget this scripture, pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit, an arrogant spirit, an arrogant attitude before fall. And that applies for unbelievers just as well as believers. And that rug, that rug of blessing, that rug of increase, that rug of position can be yanked from out beneath the feet of anyone within one day, within one hour, by one angelic pull, and your whole life can change. Your whole life can be cut down because of arrogance. And that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, a very rare man in the sense that God gave him such an expansive kingdom that was very broad, very, very wide, and he had, he had a phenomenal rule and reign, but his arrogance just became uh, it, horrible, and God cut him down. And in one moment, he went from this place of great pride to leaving the palace, being driven out of the palace by an angel, and going out and eating grass like an ox. And letting his hair grow long like eagle's feathers as a prophetic image of how unkempt he was. And his nails not being trimmed or cut. Think about that. Going from a king's palace, one of the wealthiest men of all time, having people file his nails and shampoo his hair. And going out and living out in the grass like a wild animal. Sleeping out in the field at night. Waking up soaked with dew. Seven years cut down. And then, and then, it says, he repented and his mind returned to him. And he so humbled himself before God. Now watch this. That God saw that when Nebuchadnezzar had repented, God actually gave him his mind back and gave him his kingdom back. 
Well, you would think that all the all the counselors and all of the governors and delegates would be like, "Hey, you know, you've been like totally mental for seven years, and you've been in the cook you've been in the cuckoo farm for seven years. We cannot take a risk on you." And when they saw that he was restored, they they wanted him back. They're like, "Nobody can." Nobody can govern the way you do. And they saw that that anointing was on him, and they welcomed him back, and God restored everything. And one translation actually says that God put more on him than what was on him before. And you actually see that in Daniel chapter 4, verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. One translation says, I was given more than I had before. That's, that's miraculous. From going insane, losing everything, to getting it all back, being taken out of a psych ward, and having it given all back, eating grass like an animal, they thought he'd lost his mind. He had. Gets it all back. That is miracle restoration, and if God can do that for these people, God can also restore what you have lost as well. We could go on and on and on. Think about Samson who was anointed with one primary anointing, shut down the Philistines who are harassing, subjugating, enslaving, and persecuting my people. That was God's assignment for him. And he was a wrecking machine. He had an anointing, like we've talked about before, the real comic book uh, superhero that was real, with a wild anointing. But... He, he got away from the Lord. His heart got away from the Lord, and he, he was taken out of action, and he lost time. I don't know how long he was in that meal grinding, eyes gouged out, being a joker for the Philistine kings to laugh and to get drunk over, and pull him out during their, their festivities of worshiping their, their demonic god, half man, half fish, Dagon god. Bring Samson out to entertain us. And it looked like it's over. But he repented. And he turned his heart back towards God. And said, God, give it back to me one more time. That anointing came on him. And God restored it. And he killed more Philistines in that final act. Because there's 3,000 sitting up on the roof. When he pushed those two main supporting pillars, the whole temple of Dagon collapsed. And it just wiped them out by the thousands. And that, that is a restoration. God gave it back, and he slew more in his death, more Philistines than ever slew in his life. Wow. There's a restoration. Short-lived? Yes. But he got it back. Boop. Came to a conclusion. Off he goes to paradise. And he's in heaven today. Praise God. Miracle, miracle, restoration. He got, it, he got the strength back. But this one, this one is amazing. And I want to share this one with you today. Please pay careful attention to this primary scripture. This is Joel chapter 2, verse 25. This is what the Lord says. So I will restore. Okay, this is, this is when God restores, He has the ability to do it with a miracle element. God says, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust is eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. Okay, so God is able to restore not only lost opportunities, blown opportunities, God's able to restore lost years. How crazy is that? Not just lost days, not just lost hours. God is able to work miracles to a degree he, he could even restore lost years. Let me say this. He could even restore lost decades. That if you turn your heart to the Lord and say, you know, Lord, I have not lived for you the way I should have. And I've made a lot of mistakes. But Lord, I've got some time left on the clock. Now, Lord, I yield it all to you. Now, Lord, come on, let's do something together with what's left. I give my everything to you. Come on, Lord, let's do something together. 
And God is so merciful, and He's so good, and He's so gracious that He can come into your life and even restore lost years. Lost years. Five years lost. God can restore. Ten years, twenty years, thirty years, where sometimes Christians, you just take dumb detours in life. And you knew it was a detour when you took it. You knew that was a mistake. You knew you were making a blunder, and you knew God wasn't in it. But sometimes we just do things anyhow. We, we just like, God, I'm going to do it anyhow. The stubborn Adamic flesh nature, that old nature of the sin nature that would try to rise up and hijack, hijack God's best for your life. You just took a wrong turn. Now, when you took the wrong turn, <laughs> you didn't know it was going to be a three-year uh, wrong turn. You, you, you could, just like on the, on the freeway, on the interstate, sometimes you can get back on in ten minutes, sometimes in two minutes. Oh, I'll just get off, come back up here, and I'll get back on. You probably didn't know that the next exit was 30 years down the road. You probably didn't know that. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. Somebody would have told you, you know, it wouldn't have sunk in anyhow. I've had people try to speak counsel, wise counsel into my life in my 20s, and I just couldn't like, it's just like, whoosh, I couldn't hear it. I could hear it with these, but I couldn't hear it with spiritual ears where people would try to speak wisdom into my life, and I just, just couldn't get it. I couldn't grab it. Looking back, I, I, I could realize, wow, if I, would have, if, I could have, if I would have done what they would have said, you know, I could have avoided a lot of pain. But that's the truth for everybody. And you know what? We all, everybody except for Jesus, has made mistakes. Nobody is exempt on this. And God can restore lost time. It's, let me say it like this, God knew beforehand that you were going to make mistakes, and some of these mistakes would take up chunks of time that you're, you're, going, to need, you're going to need that back somehow by grace. So it's baked into your life's, your, your life plan. God baked mistake time in there. Did you know that when they rolled out the new version of the Mercedes S-Class, that the, the designers of the vehicle, back, and, and the team that oversaw the launch of that, I think, I think that that new version launched in 2005. Every five years, any car manufacturer, pretty much for every model, whether it's the Ford Mustang, the Chevy Camaro, uh, on and on it goes, whether you're an Audi person, or Mitsubishi, or whatever, whatever makes you happy. Toyota, whatever makes you happy. Every five years, they try to refresh that model, that brand's particular model, okay? Whatever it might be. So it gets a refresh every five years. Well, when Mercedes rolled out their flagship, top-of-the-line vehicle, they realized, because, you know, they've done this for decades, that despite their best efforts to get it right, and that this is the pinnacle of their, their symbol of what success is, Despite their best efforts, when it's launched, it's still not going to be perfect. So they bake into the price, and they bake into their, their tech support and their maintenance support. They bake in their room for error and mistakes, because they know there's going to be problems no matter how hard they tried to get it right. They just know there is no such thing as perfection, although they strive for it, as many other manufacturers do as well. There's many good car companies out there. But they, 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 they set a standard. There's no, there's no question that Mercedes sets a high standard for many to aspire to. And so, you know what? Sure enough, the, that vehicle model year was launched, and there were some problems with it. Ah, that's okay. When the problems popped up, which they did, they had already made contingency plans for that. And the dealerships around North America and around the world were ready to respond to unexpected delays of lost time caused by you know, computer glitches in the system, a mechanical error that they didn't anticipate, or whatever it might be. You know what? If Mercedes can do that, don't think that God can't. 
don't think that God who already knew your name and knew your calling before you were ever born didn't know you're going to need some mistake time baked into your plan hallelujah oh that doesn't mean that we just sit back and goof off well God's got it covered why rush I'll just wait till I'm 70 before I really try to do anything <laughs> I'll wait till I'm 84 and then I'll rise up God I've got two years left let's do something mm, you don't you, you no that's that's tempting God that's that's being dumb that's that's testing God and that's um that that's really a great sin that's a great sin because if you mess around and do stuff like that you're overlooking a major you're overlooking something that you're not anticipating which is you may not want to come back you may not want to get back on the freeway of God's plan for your life you could just deviate and get so far out of God's will that you just may not want to come back so see God God grants repentance God gives you a heart to say man I ain't messing around no more come on God I want I want to live for you God restore everything that I've lost that the canker worm the palmer worm all these being types of the of the enemy and and God can just like in the Old Testament God will allow God will allow the Chaldeans the Babylonians God would allow the Syrians to come in and just hit the people why because they're in sin so God would mercifully allow them to go off in the captivity um, you know so they can wake up and have an opportunity to repent but my friends God, God can restore but we, we have to be living all out for the Lord but he is the God of the second chance He's the God of more than that. He's the God of the 70 times 7. Knowing that that in itself is not a numerical value, but rather a symbolic representation of just as long as you're willing to, to repent, God will forgive you. But, you know, but just run with the Lord. God will restore. God will restore. But He is looking for you to come all the way back and to find your place on that cross. <laughs> Woo! Where you start to live for Him and you lay your own life down. But I'm telling you, there's restoration, listen to me, even of lost years. If you've lost 30 years, God, God can redeem it. God can restore and get you back on track and make your ending happy and successful and fruitful and even set you up where you, when you go home to be with the Lord, you have an inheritance. Yes, He is that good and He can give it to you. He most certainly can. If you'll, if you'll fully come back to Him, He could restore it. You better believe He can. He's a master at this. He's a master at this. Verse 26, when He's talking about restoring the years, verse 26, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. Well, that, that speaks of prosperity. Maybe you've had lost prosperity. Maybe you've never really had it in the first place. Well, God, God can bring it all back. And if you've never had it, God can bring you in. Praise the Lord. But we're talking about restoring what was lost. Verse 27, then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. Now this is powerful. Right before that, verse 27, my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. Okay, how do you know that when God's really in your life, you're really having a touch of revival, that God that God is restoring, that God is working. How do you know? There's, there are key indicators. Number one would be Isaiah 10, 27. Whenever burdens are being removed, yokes are being destroyed, God's working in your life. If that's going on, God's on the move in your life. And just keep on going, okay? But there's another thing also. And it says, my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God. There is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. When God also starts taking shame off your life, wasted years, lost years, shame, when He starts taking all that shame off, you know you are in the midst of a one-on-one -on -one revival where you are encountering, you are encountering the miracle restoration power of God. I understand the ministry of Charles Finney. I, under, I understand the ministry of John Wesley. I understand that when, when these 
old time men would minister, the spirit of conviction would come upon, oh yes, unbelievers to get their lives right with God, but it would also come upon Christians who were not fully serving God. And they would come under great conviction. I'm talking about the Christians. We'll, we'll, we'll not really deal with the sinners today, because we're talking about restoration for God's own people. Because the church has been banged up. The church has taken a lot of hits, and really God's people need to be healed up. The, the, the locust, the canker worm, the palmer worm has really been doing a lot of chewing. God's own people need to be embraced and healed up. But the great, the great old ministers, when they would minister, the, the, the Holy Spirit would come upon the church, and they would call it praying through. Not praying in a sense to get saved. They're already saved, but praying through to get back in that place of right standing with God where your conscience is restored, your soul is at peace with God, and although maybe you've wasted a huge chunk of your life, you get your heart right with God to a degree that God even speaks to you about, it's okay, you're right with me now, I'll cover your past, I'll wash all your sins away, and I'm going to give you an inheritance, I'm going to restore everything that you've lost, even over lost years, and we're okay. Now get up and get running with me. That's what they meant by praying through. That's what they, they meant by believers coming to the altar, or believers just praying until they get through and get right with God, that you know that it's okay, that it's okay, that should you go to be with the Lord right now, God's got, he's got, he's got you covered. He'll make it right for you so that when you come over, you have an inheritance, and that everything's okay. There'll be something waiting for you on the other side. He is that good. He is that good. Praise the Lord. So my friends, if, if you've been out of the loop, come back. God will restore. He will restore. Somebody's watching, and you have been out of the loop, and you, you've been in some yucky stuff. And we don't need to get into that. Just know, if God could restore Manasseh, who was in the full-blown Satanism and occultism, and the depths of depravity of things associated with that, God can forgive you, God can cleanse you, God can heal you, and God can even do what He do, uh, do for you what He says in Psalm 23, verse 3. He can even restore your soul. Where traumatic images and depraved images and things that would try to traumatize your, your, your emotions, God can restore your soul and give you peace and just take that stuff off of you. Or maybe even if you kind of can still visualize it in your mind, it just doesn't do anything for you anymore. It doesn't hurt you. doesn't trouble you. It's just, it's just ah, whatever. It's under the blood. And you just go on with God. Hallelujah. And there's other things you could just take out and just like defragment. You can't even like really kind of put the images back together anymore. I, it, it, this really is miracle restoration. The end time move of, of the church, the end time move where God's really moving, He will really be restoring His people. You watch and see. I've always had a heart for restoration. I don't like seeing anybody get thrown out. No, if there's anything we can do, we need to throw a lifeline, and we need to do all that we can to restore uh, anybody in the body of Christ who could have drifted off, and um, you know, regardless of what the reason is, if you have a heart of restoration, you'll have the heart of the Lord Jesus, because you're going to see a lot of people coming back to the Lord, His own people, coming back, getting healed up, and being just morphed into these great champions very, very quickly, very, very quickly, with no condemnation, with no sin consciousness, but just back, and like, you know, I'm back, I'm ready, God's forgiven me, let's go. I mean, it, and it really will be that, that refreshing, that cleansing, that miraculous. Somebody, you, you had drifted, I want to come back to you, and you, you feel far from God. God's got, God's got it covered in Christ. If you just repent, come back to the Lord. The blood of Jesus is more than enough to wash all of your sins away. And if you'll just repent, God will make, God will make everything right between you and Him. Let me lead you into prayer. Just say this, pray this. Heavenly Father, I repent of my sins. I've drifted from you. I know, your, I know your word, I know the teachings of the church, but I have turned my back on you and gone into the world. I repent, and I ask you to forgive me. I turn from those things, and I come back to you. I come home. 
Now, Father, wash all my sins away. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Accept me back into your heart. Thank you. Thank you, Father. And I live for you now. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You've made that decision to come back. There's probably somebody you need to call and say, I'm back. Praise God. Hallelujah. The Lord is good. There's an anointing for restoration. Some of you, you've lost things. You've lost finances. Others, it's like family members, those that you were so close with, the relationship just blew up somehow. The devil got in there and blew the thing up. God's going to restore it. And it'll be so sweet. It'll be sweeter than it ever was before. Others of you, you've blown opportunities that were sent straight from God. And you look back and you knew, you know, you've blown it. God is going to give it back to you. God's going to give it back to you. It'll be better than what it could have been in the first time. God's going to give it back to you. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. There's going to be business opportunities lost before they're going to come back. Ministry opportunities that some of you have lost before, they're going to come back. Lift your hands. Father, I speak miracles of restoration over the lives of your people. Now, receive in the name of Jesus. And just be praising the Lord today. Be praising the Lord this week. And watch Watch things begin to come back into your life. You're going to get a phone call. You're going to get an email. You're going to get a contact. Something's going to happen. You're going to run into a previous contact, and it's just, it's going to blossom. It's going to be really good. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take Holy Communion today. Praise God. Father, we bless the bread and the juice. We sanctify it. Set it apart. This is now the flesh and blood of Jesus. Come on, take communion with me today. Father, we receive the body of Jesus with great rejoicing, with great rejoicing. Father, Jesus talked about the parable of the shepherd leaving the 99 sheep and going to get that one that had drifted away. Lord Jesus, I thank you. No lost sheep, no lost sheep. Father, we receive now the body of Jesus our great shepherd. Amen. Let's receive. Thank you, Jesus. I'm hearing in my spirit the words, the Ziklag anointing. Many of you have been plundered by the enemy. You've lost possessions. Some of you have lost lands. It's almost like you weren't even in your right mind. You made goofy decisions, and before you knew it, you lost something. You gave something away, or you you, you gave it away at a, a bad price, and you and it's just you you lost. It's all coming back. It's all coming back. The church will be restored. It's coming back now. We believe God for restoration. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We receive, Father, what you did for Manasseh. You restored him even to his throne after what he did. Your mercy, the depth of it cannot be plummeted. Thank you. Your grace, the mountain of grace can never be fully scaled. It's just too high. But, oh God, we receive. And when we rejoice in the blood of Jesus, that gives us access into all of these divine privileges of restoration. We receive the blood of Jesus now. Amen. Let's drink. The Lord's restoring the years that have been lost. It's all coming back. It's coming back now. Receive it by faith. Thank you for watching. I'll see you back next time.